0: Welcome back to The Ferment, everyone. Very exciting episode we have today here with Caroline. How are you, Caroline? Good.
1: Thanks, Harry. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you. I'm back into Studio 3 in the shed. What about yourself?
1: Still down on the coast in New Skipsland and the sun is shining and it's an absolutely beautiful day down here. What about you guys?
0: Absolutely. It's one of those days where you just want to get outside or just be right in front of a glass window that's got the sun poking through and just feeling that radiating heat. It's beautiful. Totally. And how are you, Ellie?
2: I'm good, guys. I'm seeing the sun stream through our windows here too. It's beautiful, but I'm perched up in my kitchen. Sitting on this stool, waiting for a random mouse to pop out, which has been roaming around our house all night.
1: Great. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: so not, so not jealous
2: we- of that one, Ellie. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, my single aim is to catch it tonight.
0: So we'll we'll <laughs> know if you see the mouse, there'll be like a shriek of some sort, <laughs> probably <laughs> from you and the, the mouse.
2: Correct.
0: Uh, Very good. So for our listeners, if they haven't guessed already, we've got Ellie Vince with us today for a full interview. So we're very, very excited. Now, Ellie, you know how diligent Caroline and I are on the research phase. It basically takes a quick Google search into LinkedIn to find out a bit of background and doesn't go much further. So we found out a little bit. You joined Brown Family Wine Group in 2015 as Chief Marketing Uh Officer. Prior to that, you spent a big chunk of your career, nearly nine years at Schweppes, now Schweppes Asahi Beverages. You also worked That's the one. You also worked in an innovation role at GlaxoSmithKline, and I've got no idea what that is, so I'm looking forward to find out a bit more about that, and that was in London, and no doubt a few more roles along the way, so it's going to be really cool to hear all about that. Looking
1: now, forward to it. Now, Ellie, you're a quiet achiever, never one to boast, and probably not ever the centre of attention, but you're always last to leave the drinks at conference. So we're pretty excited to chat to you today and find out a little
2: bit more about what makes you tick. Yeah, can't, can't wait, guys. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure that being the last to leave drinks at conference is, is a big achievement, though. Hang on
0: a second, I (laughs) hang my hat on that.
2: (laughs) So Ellie, first
1: of all, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your early family life.
2: I I had a pretty regular upbringing. I grew up in the southeastern suburbs uh, with my mum and dad, and I have an older sister, Bryony, and a younger brother, Jules. Pretty ordinary, went to school, primary school down the road, used to play out in the backyard, have a street full of kids that we used to run around and play hide and seek. Not like today when you're not allowed out of the house when you're a kid. But yes, pretty standard. My dad was a massive or is still a massive wine fan. And so our house growing up in the suburbs where most kids would have cupboards full of kind of board games and toys, every cupboard in our house that you opened had a bottle or a case of wine that would fall out of it, Uh, which which my mum (laughs) obviously I can relate to that. (laughs) So I think that's really where I got my love of wine from.
0: Where where did he get his love of wine from, Ellie?
2: That's a really good question. He didn't start drinking wine until quite late. I think my mum tells the story that he was probably in his early 40s when he started drinking wine, or late 30s maybe, late 30s. I don't know, to be honest. That's a question that I'm going to have to go and ask him. He did say when I got the job at Browns, he did call me up and say, now Ellie, I think this is the best career decision that you've ever made. And I said, is that is that for me or for you? And he said, oh, for both of us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ellie, you mentioned, you know, fairly normal upgrooming. You said southeastern suburbs, was that of Melbourne?
2: Of Melbourne. My mum's originally from the UK, but yeah, we, we grew up in Melbourne. What about
0: education? So what was your sort of memories of primary school, secondary and tertiary?
2: I loved school. I went to a just a public primary um, down the road from where where we used to live I love we used to walk to school we used to we probably lived the furthest away from primary school and my sister who was a couple of years older than me used to be the boss and used to walk us to school and we used to go and collect kind of all of my friends along the way so by the time we got to school there was kind of this gang of you know 10 little kids being (laughs) kind of ferreted in from my sister but school was great had a heap of fun and then I went on to a an all-girls high school again not too far from where I lived and I I don't my memories of high school I I, again I I loved school I loved the social aspect of school we were a really tight-knit group at the girls school I had a really good year level and there's probably eight of those girls that I still see today on a on a regular basis you know we're on the phone pretty much every week and and catching up probably once a fortnight
0: so yeah school school was good were you good at it, Ellie? Were you like, did you get good grades? Because I, like, I think in in my mind, when I think about you as a a fellow colleague, you're one of the the very lucky people, and I'm not sure if this came from schooling or not, but who can distill huge amounts of information and condense it down to little snippets that become, you know, very clear and concise and easy to understand. And I think that those sorts of traits would be quite handy when you're studying.
2: I think it's they were, and I, I think that's right. I think I, I was good at working the system, in a way, if that makes sense. Like, I was very good at rote learning. I was very good at taking in information and then being able to almost spill that down onto a page for all of my exams and all of my school learning. The, the challenge that, that I had post-school is if there were subjects that I wasn't particularly interested in, all the information went in for the exam. And then post the exam, all the information just disappeared out of my mind. And I think that's probably one of the things that I've learned over time is that I I definitely need to be passionate or into the topic to be able to want to find out more. And I'm so the opposite from my husband, who is hugely into general knowledge. And anything that he learns, it's not about learning it for an an exam or a mark or to do well. For him, it's about learning it just because he's interested in absolutely everything and, and his, his general knowledge is amazing, whereas mine, I feel like, post-school, there was lots of little things that stuck but lots that disappeared out of my brain. Good
0: person to have on your trivia table.
2: A hundred percent. I'm terrible at trivia. He is amazing.
0: And Ellie, so after the high school, what were you looking to study when you went post-high school?
2: I, I always had it in my head that I was going to be an architect, so that was kind of my number one, that I wanted to study and I did some kind of creative subjects in year 11 and year 12. I did a couple of art subjects. I don't know what it is that ended up changing my mind, but after year 12, I got into marketing at RMIT. Uh, So there must have been something, but it was still within that kind of creative element. I think that's what I really enjoyed, kind of the balance of commercial and creativity was always where my sweet spot was. So I studied at RMIT for for four years, post-school, And again, it was probably the the social part of uni that I loved the most. I think I had 12 hours of of actual classwork through the week, and I really enjoyed that time because not much of it was actually spent at uni.
0: (laughs) There's a time and a place for everything, and it's called university.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And anything goes. Yeah, (laughs) I did did come out with a degree at the other side, so that was a good thing.
0: Well played, well played.
1: It's amazing when you're at uni, those 12 hours, it still seems really hard to make it to all of your classes. But it um, <laughs> yeah. sounds like you did. So <laughs> you,
2: you had to time the start of them quite well.
1: Yes. <laughs> so after uni, Ellie, or maybe during university, what was your first job that my you first, had? It,
2: my first ever job was probably a typical, I reckon, job. for This is before uni. For, at 16, I got a job at McDonald's in Peran. And I worked there for a couple of years. That was great. Made a lot of good friends. And it's such good grounding, I think, for work, just teaching you principles of responsibility and, you know, having to be on time and giving you pocket money, all that kind of stuff. And I moved from McDonald's into what I thought was a grown-up or kind of, yeah, probably a grown-up job uh, at the Commonwealth Bank call centre in the city. And I probably lasted there maybe three months at the most. And I learned pretty quickly that wearing a headset, talking about banking, dealing with mostly customers that were abusing me, uh, not having all the answers and being on the clock, you literally had to clock in, you had to clock off for breaks, you had to clock off to go to the bathroom. It was so not for me. And it probably taught me what I don't want in a career or in a role. So I left there pretty quickly. And my last job at uni was working completely different, working on reception at a cool advertising agency in Richmond, just up the road from the Browns' Melbourne office called Young and Rubicum, which was at the time of my life. I was probably there for a couple of years and it was the centre of fun. I think work knocked off at 4 o'clock every day and there was drinks on the rooftop and it was one big party. Sounds incredible. (laughs) Nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And was that your first job out of uni or once you finished
2: your marketing degree, what did you do then? Finished uni and then worked at the ad agency for a little while longer just to to get some money. And then I went travelling, backpacking over in Europe for about seven months with a friend of mine from school. I came back from that trip deciding that I was going to go and get a a job back in in advertising somewhere. So rather than being on reception, I wanted to be an account manager or a a creative, and that was kind of my passion. That's what I wanted to do. But I realised quickly that I got back to Melbourne with an empty wallet and an empty bank account. And it was rather than me choosing where I was going to go, it was about where I could actually get a job. And I was was lucky enough that my sister had a notice on, I think in the lunchroom, she was working at the ANZ at the time, which was asking about if anybody knew of a junior marketer to work at Gillette out in Scoresby. And so that was a six month contract. I applied for that and I got it. And I ended up being there for I think it was about four years in the end. It was a great place to work. A lot of the guys there are still good friends of mine today. And I actually worked with quite a few of Justin Woodford's friends at Gillette's back in the day. But it's kind of where I learned the grounding of marketing. And I pretty quickly decided there that marketing was definitely the thing for me. And that I probably, I think, made the right choice of marketing over advertising. It's definitely the direction that I wanted to head in.
0: And so from Gillette, is that when you like went to this Glaxo Smith Kline?
2: Yeah, I left Gillette uh, to go travelling, or well, no, actually I left Gillette to go and live in London, so I'd met Petri oh, maybe six months before, and I don't mind a bit of change uh, and a bit of making decisions at the last minute, so we ended up moving to London together, and so his brother was living in London, my sister was living in London, and it just felt like the, felt like the right time, I think I was mid-20s, and I got a job at Gillette over there just as a transition for nine months or so and then moved on to GlaxoSmithKline from there. So the role at Glaxo was great. It was innovation manager looking at long-term innovation kind of five years out and developing a process of how to tackle it. But the one thing that wasn't so good for me at Glaxo was the category I was working on was pharmaceuticals. And if you've ever looked at working on developing the next migraine drug, you'll realise it's a pretty tricky thing to get passionate about.
0: This particular company, what do they do? Like, what's their main role?
2: So they do – so it's a big pharmaceutical company and head office is in the UK. So lots of of drugs essentially, so main channel – is pharmacy so they've got that as the biggest part of their business but then the secondary part of of Glaxo was a drinks business so they did Ribena, Lucozade, Lu, Lucozade? yeah the, mm-hmm. the um the that's the kind of the other part of GlaxoSmithGline that's probably where I wanted to work that was much more up my alley, but I ended up getting a role in pharmaceuticals. I probably worked there for maybe 12 or 14 months before Petrie and I decided that we wanted to head back over to Melbourne. And I left that role and and we came home.
0: And was that when you went to Schweppes?
2: So I, I got home and then got a job at Schweppes, which was Cadbury Schweppes at the time into a brand manager role and then I spent yeah, the best part of nine years working across I think probably every brand in their portfolio across lots of different teams lots of different management and you know during that nine years it went from Cadbury Schweppes to Schweppes to Asahi Schweppes but it kept me inspired it was we had a great team of people at that time great leaders and great brands to work on so for probably seven of those nine years it was a lot of fun
0: and from Schweppes over to Brown Family Wine Group?
2: That's right. So I, I got to the last probably 12 months or so that I was at Schweppes. I'd been on maternity leave, had my first baby, and then had come back, and it just wasn't the same being at Schweppes. And so I'd started to think about leaving and maybe doing something different, and I wasn't quite sure what that looked like. So I went and saw a, a recruiter and just having a look around to see what, the, what was out there, and then forgot about it, got busy, and then just... Got a couple of different phone calls about the role at Browns and I think the third person that called me about thinking I should apply for it, I thought there's got to be something in this. I did, I put my hat in the ring for the role at Browns and I guess the rest is history.
0: Must have been your father's love of wine, just this little thing in the back of your mind going, oh, maybe this alcohol game or this wine game is a good thing to get into.
2: (laughs) I I reckon my my two passions would be wine and travel, so it had to be one or the other. It was a good choice.
1: Now, Ellie, there's also another little connection to Brown Family Wine Group. You actually worked at Schweppe's with Emma Brown. Do you I, want to tell us a little
2: bit about that? <laughs> I did. I reckon not not many people know that. But Emma Emma came and worked at Schweppe's, and I interviewed her when she was on the she was applying for the grad program. And I always remember that Emma had this. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the applications that came through because the grad programs were so competitive. Emma had some kind of extravagant application to make sure that she stood out from the crowd. And we probably interviewed. Um, maybe 10 grads for the role, and Emma was just, she was such a standout, but I ended up employing her. And I I must have worked with Emma for four years or something at Schweppes, and we not only got along really well, but we've got a great working relationship. And when she left Schweppes, I know we both kind of said, would love to work with you again at some point. And I knew a little bit about the brand, that Brown family. I think I probably met you once, Caroline. Maybe I think maybe the the races. Right, the racers. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah, would have been over a wine somewhere, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and I met I think I Ross a couple of times. So I did going into the the you know to interview for the role at Browns. I knew a little bit. I knew the family were great, and I already had a really positive impression not only of the brand but of the people that sat behind the brand. <laughs>
0: So it's time for a break now with Brown Family Wine Group Reflections. I've got Georgia Beavis here to share a little story.
2: I don't really have one story, Harry. It's more of a bit of a generalisation as to me and my husband going on holiday together because we're not very good at it. Something goes wrong whenever we holiday. (laughs) We have missed flights by entire days. We've had... Flights and accommodation booked on the wrong weeks. We lost our passports when we were in the states. Once we got stuck in an embassy for three days. Another time because we rocked into a country without no visa, without visas. Oh God. <laughs> So it's happened that often now that it's now part of the prelude to going away. It's like, what is possibly going to happen this time? That's a
0: classic. But it hasn't stopped you travelling. Hasn't stopped us (laughs) travelling. You're going to be in trouble when you start flying home and nothing's happened on the trip. Exactly. Nothing's gone wrong. (laughs) Then then start to worry. (laughs) All right. That was Brown Family Wine Group Reflections with Georgia Beavis.
1: So Ellie, tell us a little bit about what your current role at Brown Family Wine Group involves.
2: My role is super diverse, and it's probably what I love about the role as well, and and what keeps things interesting. I reckon on a on a day-to-day basis, I could be working with the team on something to help build our brands even further in marketplace, like new advertising or new product development, or looking at shopper-based in-store programs. Working with the sales team on on customer engagement, but I could also be working on similar plans for export markets like New Zealand or China or then working with the site teams on how do we improve the experiences or the consumer connection that we get through everybody that visit our cellar doors through Victoria or Tasmania. It's diverse and I can jump around a little bit. It's a great role that keeps me on my toes.
1: You're one of those people who if you wrote down what you did on paper nobody would actually believe it but you always seem to remain calm and even though you have a lot going on. Talking about a lot going on, you've also got a pretty active home life. You mentioned before someone named Petri, who I'd like to talk a little bit more about, but also <laughs> if you're talking about being on maternity leave with your first baby. I believe now you've grown your family. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your home life?
2: I've got uh, two little boys, or probably not so little anymore, to be honest. I've got Hunter, who's seven, and Axel, who's three, and my husband, Petri, who's originally from Finland, which probably helps to explain my youngest name a little bit more as well because it's a a good Scandinavian name. But yeah, they they all, they keep me busy. And obviously life was busier when they were at home during this lockdown period, but they've both managed to be back at school and childcare now. So things are a little quieter at home.
1: I think we all got to see a little bit more into the life of Ellie while you were homeschooling and working full-time over the last few weeks, which has been really nice.
2: (laughs) Yes, especially when my... My youngest told me <laughs> that he needed to do a poo right in the middle of one of the big meetings that I was hosting.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, I wasn't going uh, uh, to oh. mention that,
2: but I'm so glad you did. Yeah, yeah. I little was, was little
0: just about of, to say, <laughs> I was actually in that meeting and I, I, I was like, oh, yes, this is the <laughs> best. It I think that one of the really great things about sort of everyone working from home is that it actually you, you it humanizes people a little bit more and things like that it just the the other day I was doing some training with I think it was New South Wales and Victoria and my son came in and started yelling and jumping around and then threw a pillow at me while <laughs> <laughs> while I was trying to do training. It's just, it's hilarious. And and no one cares. Like they just go, oh, well, that's just, you know, we've just got to put up with that because that's just part of what's going on at the moment. So I think uh, that human side of it has just been great.
2: So funny. I think in the first week I was working from home, I think Hunter was in every one of my virtual meetings, <laughs> popped up in the background somewhere. He found it fascinating. He would rather than do his schoolwork, his shit, and just be on my shoulder in my yeah. meeting. Teacher yeah. <laughs> <laughs> marketer.
0: and Ellie outside of work what's important to you
2: family definitely I think I spend a lot of my time not necessarily at work but thinking about work so when I'm home and on weekends to me it's about you know how do I pack that up and just be present and hang out with my family both my parents uh, and my sister and brother live not too far away as well so I spend quite a lot of time with them and my parents have a place down in Mount Martha on the Mornington Peninsula. So getting away for the weekend and hanging out with them, visiting wineries, I love all of that kind of stuff. Probably apart from that, I'm you know, keeping fit and active. I love yoga. I've been unbelievably good at keeping fit and active during this lockdown period. So I feel like I'm giving myself a, a gold star that I need to keep doing beyond this coronavirus lockdown period. And travel. Travel would be my other massive passion. So Petri and I both love travelling and because he's from Finland, we kind of have a pact that every two years we go back to Finland and catch up with his friends and family, which our plans are probably out the window a little bit at the moment. Mm. But I uh, we have this probably shared thing between us that every year it's about trying somewhere new. So even if we go back and visit Finland, for example, where we've been before, it's always about how do we add on that with a new experience or going somewhere different different that we've never been before so yeah that would be a huge thing of
0: fun. just on the fitness side of things we didn't we 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 didn't have it as part of our questions here Ellie but Were you ever into, like, any sort of team sports or do you just do your normal training as an individual thing?
2: Oh, I did a bit of both. I played tennis and netball when I was growing up. I don't think I was particularly good at either, to be honest. But I did. I played mixed netball, which you play as well, Caroline. Don't you You play mixed netball now? Yeah, I did, yeah. I played that for a uni life. And then I just got got into running for a while. Uh, My dad is a mad runner, so my dad runs. My dad has this love for wine and then he kind of counterbalances that with his love of running and he runs marathons but he's 75 now and has just dropped back just recently doing half marathons instead (laughs) um I don't I don't don't, don't, I'm particularly good at any kind of sport I've really found my groove in kind of doing my own and that's why I guess that's why I love yoga pilates that kind of thing I can do it in my own time when it suits me and I, I actually enjoy it which I didn't enjoy that many other sports growing up
0: and Ellie, it's been a pretty challenging start to 2020 with the bushfires and now COVID 19. How do you feel that the teams managed so far? Be, be kind on Caroline and I, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's been a hugely challenging start to to 2020, and most businesses have just had to deal with COVID 19. Yet I feel like we've we've been throwing all sorts of punches. Um, I, I think the t- I think the business has coped incredibly well. I think the ability to flex and change has been really present, and I think. If I just look at the marketing team across all of those areas that I mentioned before, I think, I reckon we probably spent, apart from the site teams obviously, which had to react much quicker because the impact was there straight away. I feel like as a team, we probably spent the first two weeks getting our heads around what does this mean for us? Times are changing, we need to change with it. And then post that, it was, I saw this change in the team, which is where everybody went into the mode of, how do we create opportunity? What can we actually do off the back of this? And I think we've seen some amazing programs come out of the last eight weeks. If you look at what Daz and the team, Georgia particularly, have done with Browns to You and getting delivery up and running at the Millowa site as a pivot or a way of actually being able to generate business through Millowa. And then on top of that, all of the online activities, which have happened from a marketing point of view. I think you know Harry, all the the virtual capability program the more of the podcast episodes I think it's I've seen that really that change into how do we generate opportunity and how do we make the most of this as opposed to how do we retreat and just put our head in the sand and pretend it's not happening that to me would be the biggest thing that's come out of it
1: and Ellie it's nearly June so we've got just over six months of the year left to go what's do you think is the most exciting thing yet to come for the year?
2: I kind of think the most exciting thing for me at the moment is actually being able to see everybody face-to-face. Mm. Like it's, it feels like it's been such a, a long time of trying to work through things virtually that I'm, I'm really excited about just getting the team back together. And it won't be all the time because I get that things will change. But seeing what we can do off the back of that and sharing our learnings of what, of what we've done over the last eight weeks Um, On top of that, there's still some really exciting programs coming through. got new news on Devils, new news in the fruity space, different ways of approaching customer experience at the sites. I think there's, there's heaps of exciting programs to come through, but I'm excited about just sharing learnings from COVID and us getting better overall as a total team.
1: I think it's been so good. We've all adapted so well to working in isolation and digitally through Microsoft Teams, but there's that level of energy that you just can't replicate when you all get together.
2: That's so a human it, element, it, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it, it makes is, such a yeah. difference. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tonguing for a beer with, with the group, you know, just to, yeah. just to chill out and have a beer or a glass of wine and just go, wow, wasn't that amazing? Like what, what a bizarre situation we've just come through. Fingers crossed. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just give, give me something that you don't have to schedule through Microsoft Teams. I think that's what I'm getting to now. It's like a, I want an unscheduled conversation and catch up with people.
0: It would be
1: lovely. It would be lovely. Hello, everyone. Head Chef Bodie here. We've got some great news about the post-lockdown COVID rules. We're back, baby. The Epicurean is open for lunches on Saturday and Sunday, so that's our casual wine bar service. We're open from 11 till 4. We've got restricted numbers, so please be patient and make sure you book. We're still doing Browns to You on Monday to Sunday, so seven days a week through Wangaratta, Karawingi, Milawa and Oxley. And on Thursdays, we go to Beechworth. You can just go to the website, brownbrothers.com.au and then hit the Visit tab and you'll see the home delivery. So get into that and we look forward to seeing you on Milawa soon.
0: OK, Ellie, well, we're sort of drawing to a conclusion, but we've got some questions that we ask all of our ferment interviewees. The first one is, can you think of a funny, weird, most wonderful travel story that you've had? You've obviously shared that you travel overseas a fair bit. It might be one, something from there.
2: It's kind of a travel story, but it's related to my background. And I said, I said before that Petri is from Finland, so I'll, I'll tell you a, a Finnish story. So when we first met... It, The Finns are quite a particular bunch of people. So anybody that knows Scandinavians or probably Finns in particular will say that they've got very particular kind of rituals and preferences that they follow. And obviously I'd known Petri just for a little while before we moved to London and he'd kind of peppered me with a couple of facts to get me prepared or ready for Finnish way of life. But when we moved to London, it was the first time that I got the opportunity to go and visit his friends and family over in Finland. So just in preparation for it, she'd started telling me about how the Finns love their saunas, which is something that I kind of knew, but probably not to the extent that uh, that he'd warned me. So all the Finns have a sauna in their house and it's a bit of a, a ritual where... At the end of the day, they all jump in the sauna and it's not just, I can hear you laughing, Caroline, it's just <laughs> not, just, uh, not just a relaxation thing. It's also a social thing for them and they can't understand or Petri can't understand why other people don't have a sauna or why they don't have a sauna in their house or why they don't do it regularly. But he would kind of warned kind of me up to the fact, this is before we went to Finland, that in Finland, if you have a sauna, you have a sauna in the proper way. And it's, he'd say, Ellie, it's not like in Australia where you go into a sauna and you're That's not how we have saunas in Finland. You go into the sauna, maybe that's just how we do it. I'm like, okay, got it, got it. So anyway, we flew over to Finland, we flew to Helsinki and then where his, we were going to go and visit his mum and his mum lives up north in Finland. Bit of a trek to get there. So we flew to Helsinki, flew up north and then had to drive. And he was telling me on the way that, because of the social aspect of having a sauna, it's not only something that you do at the end of the day, but you do it—you'd have one with other people. And so I'm like, okay, what, what, yeah. what, but what exactly does that mean? And he said, so when you get to my mum's house, she'll probably ask if you want to have a sauna, and then we'll all go in the sauna. <laughs> I'm like, is he pulling my leg? this—this this can't be real. And so anyway, we got to his mum's house and knocked on the door, and his mum opened the door, and his mum said in her kind of Finnish English, said, you must be just so exhausted. She said, I'll just go and put the sauna on. And I just looked at Petra and I died and I was like, are you kidding? Like, who does this? Anyway, I started laughing. Petra started laughing and and Petra was like, she's not going to make you go in it with all of us. She's not going to do that. Uh, And so I just breathed a sigh of relief and I went and had a sauna on my own and it was absolutely (laughs) fine. Uh, but they do do that. They do that. Is just that is normal. That is normal. They grow up. They all have a sauna together, and they do it with all their mates as well. Just a uh, over a beer,
1: meet the parents over a nude sauna. I love it. It has a
2: whole <laughs> different meaning, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Ellie, I was in in Finland one oh, so quite a while ago now, probably five or six years ago, and it was towards the end of a pretty hectic two week schedule over there, and went to the sauna. And I was on my own at the when I when I went in, and I just did the Australian thing, like I had my footy shorts on, you know, just sitting in the sauna. And anyway, these two guys came in with like honestly nothing on, and I'm just like, gotta go. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> I was not ready for that.
2: <laughs> oh, don't you love it? Well, Petrie's pitching for me to build a sauna in our back, in our back garden at the moment, and my back garden's not that big, so a sauna would take up. Ooh. I reckon nearly half of it. And so we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Good luck
1: with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, Ellie, you said that your dad's had a huge passion for wine for a long time. Do you remember trying your first wine as a young adult or maybe a little bit younger than that?
2: <laughs> Gosh, if I think about my first wine, it was probably something, literally, if I'm honest, something like a four-litre cask of predilexia. Mm-hmm. Um But that's not the one that we'll talk about. I think we, um, when I really got into enjoying wine and my dad thought it was worth actually giving me wine that actually cost him money, (laughs) so that I was going to sit and enjoy it, I remember probably being exposed to Mornington Peninsula Wines first. I think his love of being down in Mount Martha and us visiting wineries there, we used to go and visit like Paringa Estate, Estonia, 10 Minutes by Tractor. That was kind of my proper introduction to wine which I'm pretty lucky, I know. Like, good wines, great ones. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic.
1: And what about when you're sitting back at home and you're drinking a wine from the Brown Family Wine Group portfolio, what tends to hit your staff account
2: most? So many. I probably have a repertoire of, I don't know, maybe seven or eight that I love and I put on rotation. If I was to look in my cupboard now and my fridge, I've got, I've got both the Devil's Corner Resolution, the Chardonnay and the Pinot. I've got sitting on my counter at the moment and in my fridge and I'm probably flipping just between those. So I I love all of our wines. That's probably what I'm drinking right now. Delicious.
0: Mm. And what about outside of the Brown Family Wine Group portfolio, Ellie? What do you find yourself going for most often?
2: So I love to mix it up. I think the one thing that I will ever be grateful for when getting the job at Brown's is just the exposure or the introduction to wine beyond Shiraz, Cabernet and Chardonnay. I think, because that was my dad's sweet spot and and Pinot Noir, they're probably the four varietals that he stockpiled in our house. Whereas now, if I'm not drinking one of the Browns wines, I'm at my local, I've got a little independent bottle shop just up the road called Garage and the guys are amazing in there. But I literally will go in there now and say, tell me what's good. You know, I want to spend 20 bucks on a bottle of wine, give me something new to try and that's what they do. And they're always great, but it could be anything. It could be a Sangiovese, it could be a... A Tempranillo it could be an, a, a Pinot Noir from somebody somebody different or a small producer, but that I Browns has instilled in me experimentation, and that's that's what I love. And I'm I'm now feeding that and and teaching my dad about different varietals in wine. Oh, I can see the mouse. Got to go. Oh, yes, it made an appearance. <laughs> no kidding, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> I got excited for a second. <laughs> it would have been a bigger squeal than. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's it, Ellie. Thank you so much for coming in today, virtually, to chat to Harry and I. I think hearing a little bit more about your background, I think at this conference when we all get together, you'll uh, definitely be the last in the bar because people will have lots of questions and uh, things to ask you about after hearing a little bit more about your life. But I think for Harry and I, it's been wonderful to interview you. You've been our boss for is how long? Nearly five years or so now. So um, Gosh, it's gone quick. It certainly has, but it's been wonderful to chat to you and hear a little bit more about the true allegiance, so thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Good
0: to chat. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment, please send us an email at theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to The
0: Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard, look out for each other.